We're going to continue kind of a, a series. Let me just say this to you on a personal level. If I could just say this, I love you guys. I don't know if I say that enough, but I love you guys. And here's what I want to do this morning. I want to be helpful to you, okay? So I feel like what I have to say is going to be helpful to you if you'll lean in and bear with me uh, through Psalm 1. But I really, that's my desire. My desire is to be helpful to you. And I think there's a lot of people I get a chance to meet with and talk with that are restless and they're struggling and they're kind of chasing something and they're not sure what they're chasing. And I think what I want to talk to you about today will help you if you'll kind of lean in and listen. And hopefully you can walk out with some practical things in this series called Way of Change. Let me catch you up to speed. We said it's not if change happens, right? It's when it happens. Change happens. Change just happens. And so it's how it happens. Some of you love change. Some of you hate change, right? I get it. But we said this. We said that a lot of people, and some of you are in this boat, a lot of you are in this boat, you would say you're a Christian. And and some of you would say, I'm not quite there yet. I'm so glad you're here, right? If you're like, I'm just checking this out. I'm glad you're here. I think what I want to say today is going to be helpful to you. But a lot of you would say, I'm a Christian. And Christians a lot of times have this weird relationship with change. They have this weird dynamic with change. And we've been talking about it, that a lot of Christians, the way they see change is this. They pray. A lot of people use this lingo. I ask Jesus into my heart, and then they try really hard to change, right? And so I I asked Jesus into my heart. I became a Christian. And then a lot of you are exhausted trying to change, right? You're trying to grit out change. I'm just trying my best to change. And so some of you are just exhausted trying to change. Some of you, you just live with this constant state of guilt, right? You're like, I can't seem to, you come to church, you leave, oh, I feel like I'm not doing enough. I can't keep up. I'm not as good as, and this, that, and everything. And so because some of you are exhausted, some of you are guilty, and you always feel guilty, it's made some of you grumpy. Amen? Can I get an amen on that? There are a lot of grumpy Christians. Anybody agree with me about that? Yeah, there are. And it's why some of you don't want to become a Christian because you're like, all the Christians I know are grumpy, right? But some of you are grumpy because you're exhausted trying to change. You always feel guilty and you can't seem to do enough. It's why some of you have given up on change. And we said this all by way of review. We said the reason for that is that we have the wrong picture when it comes to change. That a lot of times, Christians, when it comes to change, have this picture of decorating a Christmas tree. And so the way they see change is kind of like decorating the tree of their life. Like, I want to decorate the tree of my life with all these good things, benevolence, all kinds of morality, so that God's impressed with the way I'm changing. He's impressed with the tree of my life. And so that you are, right? So that other people are. So like, you see my life, like, wow, man, you're really a good Christian. I hear that all the time, right? And yet we said this, Jesus said it this way, that when it comes to change, it's not about decorating my life, it's about producing fruit. We saw this in John 15. If you weren't here, this is the key passage we've been launching from. Jesus said, I'm the vine, y'all are branches. If you're my disciple, your branches connected. The only way, look here a second, only way, look here a second, only way for you to be connected to Jesus is say yes to Jesus. Only way for you to be forgiven of your sins is to be connected to Jesus. Say, yes, Jesus. Only way for you to have a relationship with God is to be connected to Jesus. Jesus said this, right? He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Jesus died in my place for the sin, paid the price that I deserved, he did not owe, so that I could have something I could not earn. That's grace, that's salvation. Only way for me to have a relationship with God is to connect to Jesus, true vine. He says this, if you remain in me, key word, and I in you, you will bear much, say the word out loud, much what? Apart from me, you can do nothing. This is my Father's glory that you bear much what? Say it out loud. 
fruit. That's the way of change, showing yourselves to me, my disciples. Here's what he's saying, that when you connect your life to Jesus, the way of change is abiding, remaining. We use this terminology, practicing the presence of Jesus. The disciple of Jesus who really truly wants to change the way Jesus is talking about focuses on the other end of the branch. They don't focus on decorating their life. They focus on adopting, embracing the rhythms, the patterns of practicing the presence of Jesus in their life so that eventually they produce fruit. So we've talked about some of these. We've talked about solitude and community. We've talked about fasting and feasting. This morning, I want to talk to you about one that quite frankly is a buzzword that we're going to have to clean up the lingo on. Because here's what I want to talk to you about this morning. The way of change by practicing the presence of Jesus through meditation. Now, here's why I say we've got to clean up the lingo on this, because some of you, that brings, that evokes all kinds of things in some of y'all's mind. Some of you guys are like, well, I'm doing meditation, and you read a book, or you got a book from the bookstore, and it's like, I'm doing this, or you're in some sort of exercise class, we're doing meditation, and you're like, I'm in, man, I must be doing the right thing. Others of you, you're scared to death when I say meditation, because you're like, oh no, I thought maybe that was all kinds of funky religions, and so on and so forth. It evokes all kinds of imagery in our minds when we think of meditation. For some of you in the room, here's what you think of when you think of meditation. You think of TV personalities and authors, right? I mean, there's certain people, they're like, I'm all into meditation. Some of these you might recognize, right? Some of you might think of this lady, right? Oprah Winfrey. Some of you like watch her daily, right? Like I'm all about Oprah, right? And so she's into meditation. She is hugely into meditation. And I've never met Oprah. And I'm sure Oprah's wonderful in this and everything. But she's a meditate. Breathe consciously, like meditation. Listen, pay attention, treasure every moment, make the connection. She has authors on her show, and this is not a pick on Oprah hour, but, but she has these authors, and maybe you have some of their books, right? And they talk about meditation, Deepak Chopra, right? Meditation takes you beyond the mind's noisy clatter into the pure awareness that is the source of all your happiness, inspiration, and love. She has another author on quite frequently. His name is Eckhart Tolle. And some of you maybe have some of his works. I don't know. Be careful, okay? Be careful. Because here's what he says. He says, create a gap of no mind. So let that sink in for a minute, all right? Create a gap of no mind in which you're highly alert. So go to a place where there's no mind but highly alert. That's interesting. And aware but not thinking. That's interesting. This is the essence of meditation. There's all kinds of people, right, that want to say, hey, here's what meditation is. I'm into meditation. In fact, I have a montage of all these celebrities, and there's many more. I just kind of Google it. Like, all these celebrities say, we're into meditation. Some of y'all are into sports, and it's kind of in vogue for sports stars to be into meditation, right? LeBron James, big into meditation. He's like, I meditate, right? Steph Curry, big into meditation. The whole Seattle Seahawks football team into meditation, Like when I say meditation, all kinds of things come up in your mind. They should because it's all over the place. It's in vogue. It's like an old word that has kind of come back into vogue. For some of you, when I think meditation and when I say meditation, you think this new age spirituality. You like think of the hippies and all that kind of stuff, right? And you think of clearing your mind to get a greater sense of consciousness. For others of you, and you should, by the way, you think of ancient Eastern religions like Hinduism, 
in Buddhism, right? And so when you begin to think meditation, you think, well, it's the way that a Hindu would reach its ultimate reality, moksha, right? It's the way that they would break the cycle of death, rebirth, death, rebirth. It's the way a, 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 a Buddhist would reach nirvana, right? It's the way that they would break the eventual cycle of death, rebirth, and get into this ultimate high level of consciousness, and so that leads us to, well, Dan, what are we talking about? Because if meditation is, is something that is important for me to practice the presence of Jesus, what in the world are we talking about? So here's what I want to do this morning. And if you write notes, and I recommend you should, I want to answer three questions. If that's what we're going to talk about, then we've got to answer the question, what is meditation for the follower of Jesus? Because I would dare say it's quite different than what I just read to you. Second, <clears throat> Why is meditation so important? Which leads to third, and we are going to be so practical, it hurts this morning, right? How can I begin to practice meditation in my life? I want to simply answer these three questions. What is it? Why is it so important? How can I, what can you leave beginning to do? I've already done this sermon once. I'm going to give you tangible things that you can begin to do. Let's start with what is meditation for the follower of Jesus. You have your Bibles open to Psalm 1. I think what I want to do is start in this Old Testament passage, and we're going to end up in the presence of Jesus. And you just stay with me. You'll see what I mean. Psalm 1. Are you with me? Say yes. Are you with me? All right. I got to know you're with me. Here we go. Verse 1. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. But blessed is the one who delights in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers, not so the wicked. They're like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. Look here a second. Here's what I want to do for the next 25 minutes or so. I simply want to take Psalm 1 and I want to rip it apart because in here, it talks about meditation. And there is something absolutely fascinating that maybe you've never thought of in terms of meditation. And so I want to rip it apart phrase by phrase, even sometimes word by word. Let's start right at the beginning. Look at the very first word. Everybody say the first word out loud with me. It is what? Say it. One, two, three. Blessed. When we read that word blessed, if you're newer to the Bible, you're like, I don't know, that sounds like some sort of religious word, a church word, a, a sacred word. That word blessed, let me translate it for you. Here's what it means. If you were here a couple months ago, you know this. That word means happy. When Psalm 1 starts, here's what he's saying. Oh, the happiness. That sounds like an interesting place to start a psalm on meditation. He starts with happiness. Is there anybody in the room who wants to be happy? Raise your hand. Anybody? Rest of you lying, right? Rest of you lying. In fact, I would dare say this when it comes to our series, The Way of Change, it's the reason many of us change things. This idea that we want to be happy, we think I'm going to change whatever I need to change so that I can be happy because we long to be happy. 
For many of us, like, man, I'm going to change my car because I'm not happy with my old car, so I'm going to get a new car, and I'm going to be happy. I'm going to change my house because I'm not happy with my old house, so I'm going to get a new house. I'll be happy. For some of us, I'm going to change my job, amen, because I'm not happy with my old job, so I'm going to get a new job, and when I get a new job, then I'm going to be happy. For some of you, you're like, man, I'm not happy with my old school. I'm going to change and get a new school. For some of you, like, I'm not happy with my old spouse. I'm going to get a new spouse. Don't amen that. Somebody first service did and got in trouble. I'm just saying. <laughs> and then I'm going to be happy. For some of you, like, if I just had, I'm going to change my clothes. And then I'll be, some of you changed outfits four or five times this morning. Don't look at that person, right? Because I want to be happy. Found out last week that for some of us, we change hairstyle just to be happy. Can I get an amen on that, right? That Pastor Aiden, I'm not, I don't know about letting him up here, right? You know what I told him? Everybody look here a second. I told him that if that's the difference right there, I think I got the better deal in that. Can I get an amen? <laughs> yeah. Here's the deal. We are a culture obsessed with happy. Do you ever think about that? Happy New Year. Happy birthday. Happy dance. Happy Gilmore, right? Don't worry. Just be what? Happy. In fact, if you get on your search engine and Google search, I just took a screenshot, to be honest with you. Uh, I did it many times. Don't look way down because it's kind of weird. You put how to be. Every time I did it, it said how to be happy. On this particular occasion, which was a Thursday afternoon, the second one was how to be a notary in Ohio. I'm not sure. <laughs> I don't know, right? And then how to be a Latin lover. And I don't know, it has something to do with the Super Bowl. I don't know what that had to do with, right? How to become a travel agent, how to be a player. But how to be happy every time I did it was the first that came up. And we have all kinds of things. You can search this, be careful, but you can search this because you're like, well, what's gonna make me happy? And the things that constantly come up are three things, sex, stuff, and sports, right? If I could just have more and better sex, I'll be happy. Just more and better sex, I'll be happy. If I just had more stuff, I'd be happy, right? If my sports team just would start winning, we'd be happy. We're in deep weeds in Cleveland, right? But, but, but that's where our happiness is. In fact, happiness, you ever think about this? Happiness, are you with me? Happiness is so important to us that we made it part of our nation's documents. See if you can't recognize this. If you can't recognize this, shame on you, right? We hold these truths, you with me, to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of what? Happiness. Right in our declaration is this, we have the right to pursue happiness, and yet if we're honest, you ready? There are a lot of us in the room, some of, it might be you, who we can't seem to get a hold of this ever-elusive quality. Some of you are here this morning like, man, I don't even remember what it feels like to be happy. And so what happens is because we want to be happy, it makes us look here. It's going to make the rest of what I'm going to say make sense. It makes us vulnerable to all these voices in our culture, and there are a ton of them, who tell us what it is that's going to make us happy. Stay with me on this. All these voices, because I got to be happy, and I want to be happy, and this is important, and I'm addicted to being happy. So these voices, well, if you just experienced this, you'd be happy. If you just had this, you'd be happy. If you bought this, you'd be happy. If you moved here, you'd be happy. And all of a sudden, we have all these voices that begin to bombard our thinking. And what bombards our thinking, are you with me? What bombards our thinking begins to influence our life. And what bombards our thinking influences our life and becomes what we do 
And what we think becomes what we do, and what we do over time, all of a sudden, that turns into who we become. And that's the way rhythms and habits work. You see, some of you, you're here this morning, and there's all kinds of things telling you if you just had this, did this, you'd be happy. And yet, the 2019 World Happiness Report says this, happiness in the United States of America is at an all-time low. We're not in the top 10. We're not even in the top 15 countries in the world. The, US, the 2019 World Happiness Report says that one in three Americans even say they're remotely happy. To be honest with you, I'm looking at some of y'all's faces and I'm saying that might not be too far off, right? Because some of you aren't happy. And you keep chasing happiness and you listen to voices that become what you do and what you do over time becomes who you become. And that's what Psalm 1 is saying. You see it? Look at what he's saying. Psalm 1, he says, happy is the one, he starts negative, who does not walk in step with the wicked. Some of your versions may say it this way. It takes a Hebrew word and says, who, who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. What he's saying is happy is the one who doesn't take all of the advice and influence of people everywhere telling them what it means to be happy. And he says, because they don't walk in step with the wicked or take the advice of everything that says this is what's gonna make you happy. And then he says this, or stand in the way sinners take because what you think becomes what you do. And then he says, because if you walk and you stand, eventually you're gonna sit in the company of mockers. What you think all of a sudden turns into what you do and what you do turns into who you become. It becomes your identity. That's what he's saying. And what he's saying is this, I'm gonna tell you something very important. He's saying, when I leash my life to the voices that tell me what happiness is apart from God, I begin to think, do, become. And I chase happiness, unable to get a hold of it. In fact, I would say this, this is worth writing down, and not all of you are gonna agree with what I'm getting ready to say. And I'm okay with that, by the way. You don't have to agree with everything I say to come here, but what I'm gonna say is so important. I really want you to lean in. Do I have your attention? I really want you to lean in because I'm sure some of you aren't going to agree and that even makes it more important that you hear what I'm going to say. In our culture, we have confused our freedom to pursue happiness with the idea that happiness is the pursuit of our freedom from everything. Let me say it again. In our culture... We have confused that our freedom to pursue happiness, we've confused it with the idea that happiness is the pursuit of our freedom from everything. So we live in a culture where happiness is the freedom to do what I want, how I want, when I want. It's freedom to express myself. It's freedom from restriction. It's freedom from authority. It's freedom to determine what I am and who I am apart from God. And in our culture, we have somehow determined that that's what happiness is. And yet you know this, I don't even need to take you very far down this path. A guy named C.S. Lewis had this great example in one of his books. He said, but imagine a fish. Can we do that? Can we imagine a fish for a minute? Imagine a fish saying, I wanna be happy. And so happiness is freedom. I want the freedom to pursue life on the land. 
yeah, you're with me already, aren't you? And imagine that fish acting on the freedom to pursue life on the land. It won't take long till that fish is what? Not only unhappy, but not very free. You see, the truth of the matter is that true freedom, C.S. Lewis says, real freedom is finding the right restrictions that lead us to happiness. Guy in the fourth century said this, and some of you will relate with this. This is the fourth century, not 21st century, fourth century. His name was Augustine. He said, our hearts, see if you can't relate with this, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in God, which is what Psalm 1 is about. Look at this, look at this. Some of you are chasing happiness. He said, oh, happy is the one who doesn't walk in step with the wicked. Take his, listen to all the voices of what it's saying is gonna make me happy or stand in the way that sinners take. Gonna listen to those voices, do what they say and then become who they are or sit in the company of mockers. Look at verse two. But whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who, say the word out loud, who what? Meditates on his law day and night. Listen, listen. Look here a second. Meditation is a key to unlocking happiness. You're like, it is? It is. So we got to figure out what in the world is meditation. We got to answer the question, okay, what is meditation for the follower of Christ? Let's start with the word. The word, this part of your Bible was written in Hebrew. Can I teach you all some Hebrew? Can we do that? Just shake your head. Just three of you shake your head, okay? Because I'm going to anyways. But here's the Hebrew word for meditate. Haka. Everybody say it with me. One, two, three. Haka. That was awful. Say it again. One, two, three. That was pretty good, right? And here's what it means. It means some things that are absolutely fascinating. That word means first and foremost to sigh, to murmur, to salivate. I just like the word salivate. That word means to salivate. You can almost see kind of coming down like, oh, just salivate. And it's used in the Old Testament in another place. And it's used to refer to a lion in Isaiah as a lion or a young lion growls. That's the very same word for meditate. Haga, right? And so he growls over, can you almost see it? It's like this lion's just salivating over dinner, right? That's the picture, this salivating and almost murmuring. And I don't know what sound a lion makes when it's over its prey, but that's the picture. Then the definition of meditate goes further, and here's what it means. It means to ponder, to contemplate, to ingest, to take in, to eat every morsel. You might forget all of those words. Here's how I remember it. When I think of digest, ingest, digest, I think of the way a cow eats. And the way a cow eats, if you've studied cows, which I haven't, but I looked it up, right? They eat and chew their cud. Did you know this? Somebody like, I had no idea. They chew their cud. They swallow it. And when they swallow it, guess what they do? It's like everything good for a minute. And then they erp it back up. Yeah, check me on this. And guess what they do? They chew it again. And they're getting every nutrient and they swallow it. Guess what they do? They erp it back up. What, what are they trying to do? They're, they're ingesting, digesting. They're kind of re, they're contemplating. They're going over and churning over. Here's what Psalm 1 is saying. Happy is the one who salivates and who ingests and digests and erps and redigests and all. The question is what? Because some of you are like, that sounds like my husband, right? No, what? 
What in the world do we meditate on? And it's right in the passage. Look at it, Psalm 1. But whose delight is in the what? Say it out loud, the what? Law of the Lord. And who meditates on his law day and night. Let me tell you a key differentiation between what you're reading in the books that you bought at the bookstore and what God says about meditation. Meditation is not detach and empty your mind. But God says meditation is attach and fill your mind. Big difference. And what you fill your mind with is, he says, it's the law of the Lord. You're saying, what's that? That is just Old Testament way of saying the Bible. To somehow meditate on the scriptures. What he's saying is, oh, happy is the one. See if this describes you. Oh, happy is the one who comes to the Bible and salivates, and salivates at the meal in front of them, and then ingest, digest, herps it back up, chews it up, ingest, digest, herps it back up. That's what he's saying. Reminds me of what Jesus said. Remember, I talked about fasting, and y'all hated me for a day, but we talked about fasting. And remember Jesus, when he was tempted, Satan said, turn these stones to bread. Remember what Jesus said? Man shall not live on what? Bread alone, but man shall live on every what? Word that proceeds from the mouth of God. You see, what Psalm 1 is saying is that somewhere along the way, happiness, the key to our happiness is this idea of salivating, ingesting, pondering, digesting the word of God. What begs this question? Stay with me. Some of you are like, I expected the preacher to talk about that. You got to stay with me. You got to stay with me. I want to give you something to walk out. Some of you aren't happy. I can see it in your face. Some of you aren't happy. And you're just like the psalmist is saying. You're like tumbleweed blowing around. I think this will make me happy. Nope, that didn't. I think that's going to make me happy. Nope, that didn't. I think that will make me happy. And what he says is no happiness is for the one who comes to this meal called God's word and salivates and ingests and digests, which begs the question, well, how does that happen? Because you and I know there are all kinds of ways to read the Bible. And some of you are reading the Bible and there's all kinds of ways. You can read the Bible for information. You, you gotta hear what I'm gonna say. I'm gonna clean some stuff up. Y'all grew up in church. Some of, you, I want, some of you grew up in church. I wanna clean some stuff up for you. You can read it for information. Like it's an academic book to you. You wanna win Bible trivia, amen? I wanna get all the answers. And so some of you are like, I just wanna know everything in there so that I can impress people and so I can give answers and so I can get charts and da, 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 da. Read it for information. Some of you will read for inspiration. Chicken soup for the soul, right? And I feel good, warm and fuzzy. Get a quilt with a verse. I like that verse, makes me feel good. And it's inspiration. And you can read it, you with me? For information, inspiration, and some of you can read it for decoration, because you let everybody know, I read my Bible every day, and it's decoration. Some of you, your number one goal is to read through the Bible in a year, and that's not a bad goal, right? It's not a bad goal unless you read through the Bible and never let the Bible read through you. You see the difference? See, somehow meditation is way more than just reading for information, inspiration, decoration, and I think that's what he's talking about. Look what he says. There's a word here. You got to see it. I'm going to make the Bible make sense. I teach a college class and I drill this into my students. Look at what he says. But whose, say the word aloud, whose what? Delight 
is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. Everybody look here. Some of you are like, I try to read the Bible. Delight isn't the word. For some of you like, there ain't no delight. Some of you like, it's a duty. I get up, check, got to read the Bible. And he's like, happy is the one who's delight. Some are like, how in the world am I going to delight in something that crushes me every time I read it? Some of you are there, you're like, every time I read the Bible, I feel like, oh, man. This word delight, so key, it's a financial term. Some of you guys like that kind of stuff. It's a fin- it says that, that happy is the one who feels rich every time they read the word. Like you're saying, Dan, how in the world? Because it feels like such a duty. It feels like it crushes me. How do I read the Bible in a way that it brings delight? I'm gonna teach you something that I think is absolutely necessary in terms of being a key to unlocking how you read your Bible. Let's leave it up a while, Matt. The key to delighting in the law of the Lord is to see the Lord of the law when you meditate on his word. You gotta get this. The key to seeing, to to delighting in the law of the Lord is to see the Lord of the law when you meditate on his word. Say, help me understand that, Dan. If you wanna delight in the word of God, you must see, listen close, that the entire Bible points to Jesus. If you read the Bible and somehow it doesn't take you to Jesus, it's gonna make you informationally smarter. It's gonna give you a quiver in your liver, inspiration, feel good today, not sure how tomorrow, right? It's gonna be decoration. I read through the Bible the last 20 years, man. I got the church to prove it, right? But if you read the Bible and you see that the entire Bible, the only way for you to delight in the Bible is to see that the entire Bible points to Jesus. The Old Testament, the first part of your Bible, it predicts Jesus. The Gospels, the first four books of the New Testament, they reveal Jesus. The book of Acts, they preach Jesus. The epistles after Acts, they explain Jesus. The book of Revelation at the very end says you ought to expect Jesus. It is all about Jesus. The entire book is about Jesus. And the only way I'll ever delight in this book is if I realize that this book is all about the one who was rich yet became poor so that I could have a richness I could never earn. The only way for me to ever delight in this book is to realize that this book is all about the one who was crushed so that I could be blessed. The only way that I'll ever delight in this book and see it as something beyond information to get, a rule book to follow, the only way I'll ever delight in it is to see that it is about the judge who was judged for me so that I would have a chance to be declared innocent in God's eyes. That's the only way for me to delight in this book If you read the Bible and it doesn't point you to Jesus, can I tell you this? If you read the Bible and it doesn't point you to Jesus, it, look here, it will crush you. And you know what will happen? You eventually will use it to crush others. You see, the Bible is all about driving me into Jesus, practicing the presence of Jesus, 
abiding with Jesus, remaining with Jesus, loving Jesus, following Jesus, seeing who Jesus is. The Bible is about Jesus. It says, happy are those who delight, salivate, eat, chew on the law of the Lord that points to the Lord of the law. Well, when should I do this? Well, he says, he says, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law, what's it say? Yeah, we almost don't want to say it now. Day and night. He said, happy is the one who delights on ingesting, digesting, pondering, reorienting their mind to the law of the Lord that points to the Lord of the law day and night. Day and night. Every day. Every night. I can see it in your face. You're like, is this a preacher telling us we should read the Bible? No, this is Dan saying, I so desperately want to help you this morning because some of you aren't happy. You're chasing happiness. And he says, happy is the one who salivates, ingests, digests the Lord, the law of the Lord in a way that points to the Lord of the law and does it day and night. Not just simply, have my quiet time on with the rest of my day. Nothing wrong with having a quiet time. Read the verse of the day on the rest. He said, that happy is the one who just kind of, all day long, day, night, reorienting, thinking. How is that part of, part of the fabric of who I am? Chew on it, memorize it, percolate on it. Can we say something? It might be, you ready? It might be why people are so unhappy. survey I read said almost 50% of Americans this last year, 2019, never touched their Bible in any way. Like, didn't even like, I'm not sure where it's at. This is not a guilt. This is just, I'm just, might be why we're not happy. One in six said that they in some way engaged it during the week, daily basis, in some way. Three in five Americans said, I think in there it contains what I need for purpose and meaning, but most would say they don't engage with it. And then I lost total faith in the survey because I kept reading and they had a little asterisk at the bottom and they said, we define a Bible user, you ready, lean in, as somebody who reads or listens to the Bible on their own three to four times in a year. not a preacher telling you, go read your Bible. This is me saying, oh, happy is the one who salivates, delights, meditates on the law of the Lord. At least this question, and we're not going to linger here, but it's important. I want to show you something that that even if you know Psalm 1, I want to show you something maybe you've never seen before. Why is meditation so important? Just look at it with me. Verse 3, that person is like a tree planted key word, by streams of water. First thing you ought to write down somewhere, just write this down somewhere. I'm going to go back and forth, Matt, just stay with me. Why is it so important? Because meditation plants my life into the source of true happiness. Meditation plants my life into the source of true happiness. That's what he says. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water. Then he goes on and says this, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. 
whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked. They're like chaff. Think tumbleweed. (laughs) The wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. Not only does meditation plant my life into the source of true happiness, meditation produces the fruit of lasting change. That's what he's saying. He's saying that when I begin to meditate on the law of the Lord and it points me to the Lord of the law, what happens is I drill my life into the only source of true happiness, that's Jesus. Jesus said I came to give life, not just eternal life. Some of us are like, I love Jesus. He saved me from my sins. I'm gonna live in heaven. And we miss that he said, I came so that you might have abundant life. And his invitation is drill the roots of your life deep into me. And when you do that, you begin to produce fruit that produces fruit in season and out of season. Its leaf does not wither. And the reason that is so important is because life has seasons. And many times we equate our happiness with seasons of life, circumstances. And some of you are in a season of life right now where the circumstances are making your life unhappy. And he says, true Happiness happens when I drill my life into the source of true happiness, Jesus. I produce fruit that looks like Jesus. And then he says something interesting. You maybe have never seen this. It was new to me as I dug into this this last week. Psalm 1, verse 6, look at it. For the Lord, say the next word out loud, for the Lord what? Watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. Everybody look here, I'm gonna teach you something. I'm so excited about this. This is the trump card. Why is meditation so important? Drills my life into the source of true happiness. Produces lasting fruit. And then he says, the Lord watches over the way of the righteous. That word watches, look here a second. That word watches, it comes from the Hebrew word, you ready? Yada. If you've been around here for any length of time, you're like, you'll know what I'm talking about. Some of you, I need to catch up to speed. Because you're like, yada, what's that? Yada, 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 right? And you're like, well, what does that mean? Well, that, mean, that, that word means in Hebrew to know. You're like, well, what difference does that make? Well, in the Old Testament, here's how it's used. You ready? I'm going to make something come alive for you. It said Adam knew his wife Eve. And because he knew her, they produced a child. You tracking with me? Yada, yada, yada. Are anybody with me? Can I get an amen on that? Yeah, he knew more than just her name. He knew more than just information. He knew her. It was an intimate knowledge. You tracking with me? I think what he's saying here is meditation. When I drive my roots deep into Jesus, I begin to produce fruit that looks like Jesus. And meditation is the path to a unique friendship with Jesus. And that's how you begin to practice the presence of Jesus. You see, Jesus, in John 15 said it this way. He said, greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servant, but a servant doesn't know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. Guys, I cannot think of anything more transformative in your spiritual transformation than to drill your roots deep into the stream that offers true happiness, that's Jesus, in a way that produces fruit of change that looks like Jesus, 
and results in a unique friendship with Jesus. Some of you are chasing happiness and you're not happy because you're like tumbleweed and you hear voices in your life saying, this is gonna make you happy. If I just had this, if we went on this, if we did this, if we experienced this, if we bought this, if we didn't have this in our past, if I could erase this from my history, my wife never did this, And Jesus is saying, now, drill the roots deep, deep. Produce fruit that looks like Jesus. Experience a unique friendship with Jesus. Leads to this question, then we're done. How do we do it? How can I begin to practice meditation? Because can we just start by saying it's not easy in our culture? When it comes to our attention, we lose to goldfish. We talked about this the second week, right? We have an eight-second attention span, eight seconds. So when it comes to the whole idea of attention, like how in the world, a Duke professor, I, I wrote this quote down, who teaches English and literature said this, Duke professor, Duke University, she says, I cannot get my literature and English students to read whole books anymore. Times have changed. Times have changed. We live in a world that anthropologists called a three-screen world, that technology has literally invaded our world, and technology is not bad, but it has distracted our attention. We live in a three-screen world. It started with the first screen, which was the TV. We put a TV in our living room, and we went from conversing as families and having dinner as families and playing games as families to all of a sudden, the attention became on the first screen. So eventually the second screen was invented and the second screen became the screen that we lay on our lap. It was the PC. And so we begin to look at the first screen through the second screen and we begin to all of a sudden hear all kinds of voices on the TV and now on Google search that tells us this is what you need and this is what they're doing. Those people on Facebook, they look happy if you just went where they went and had what they had and they have no problem. All of a sudden, and then the third screen was given to us. And that's the one we can put in our pocket and we can get out and look at it anytime. That's our mobile device. And for some of us, don't look around, but for some of us, we watch all three screens at the same time. We watch the TV as the computer and the phone. And what happens very quickly is what we pay attention to becomes what we do and what we do over time becomes who we become. Don't you think to yourself, if you spent 12 hours a week, which is a low figure, letting someone else tell you what to think, it would begin to seduce your imagination. We live in a busy, busy world where there is much and more and all kinds of voices clamoring, this is what will make you happy. Everybody listen, we're gonna land the plane. And in this world where TV and Google and your device and your friends are saying, if you just had this, if she was just this, if you could experience this, if you bought this, you would be and happy, happy, happy. And in this much and more and this clamor, shh, 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 shh. There's this quiet running stream of happiness that invites you to drill your life into. Do you hear it? In the middle of the distraction, in the middle of the noise, there's a sound. 
It's like a rippling brook. It's like a river that literally God is inviting you to plant your life into. And he said, why don't you come rest a while. Learn from me the rhythms of grace. You see, you might be here saying, Dan, that's me. I have no idea how to start. I have no idea how to start, how to begin this whole idea of meditation. Where do I begin? Can I give you some suggestions worth writing down? I think the place to begin is simply this is to slow down and set aside time. Don't try to meditate when the time affords itself. Begin tomorrow morning. Don't leave here and say, I'm going to begin Thursday. Or begin tomorrow. Begin with five minutes. Like, just begin. Set aside time. After you set aside time, I would decide to read the Bible for yourself. I'm going to just tell you this, and I want to say this lovingly. We live at a time in a culture where many of us are satisfied letting someone else tell us what the Bible says. Can I tell you this, that Pastor Jonathan, Pastor Adam, Pastor Greg, Pastor Aiden, myself, we love preaching and teaching God's Word. Love it. Thank you for letting us do it. But it'll never take the place of you salivating, ingesting, digesting, pondering and percolating God's word on your own. It just won't, guys. Some of you aren't happy. You're blown about like the wind. Your sports team isn't winning. Your marriage is struggling. Finances are rough. Job, I don't know. It's like, if I just, uh, that streams are running. And Jesus said, why don't you just kind of begin to bury the roots of your life here? Like, I don't know where to start. Start in Psalms. We did chapter one. Start in James. Start somewhere. For some of you, you're like, man, I read through the Bible every year. Well, maybe my advice would be to begin to allow the Bible to read you. Like the goal is not for you to get through the Bible. The goal is to allow the Bible to get through you. For some of you, that simply means beginning to take time to contemplate, take time to percolate, take time to figure out how in the world, what it is that God's trying to say to you. I'd write this down somewhere. I'd begin eating the Bible like a cow. Like I'd take a small section and read it and reread it and reread it and memorize it and maybe start with Psalm 1. Blessed is the one who doesn't walk in step with the wicked. Stand in the way of the sinners. Sit in the seat of mockers. But oh, happy is the one whose delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree that's planted by streams of water, produces fruit in season, leaf does not wither, not so the wicked. 
See, maybe it's just start and say, God, I'm just going to stay right here in Psalm 1 until this becomes just, oh, just in me. I'm going to let it just become part of me. Maybe the place for you to go is to realize that this book is God's love letter to you. Some of you just seen it as a rule book all your life. It's, a, it's God's love letter. Like he has something he wants to say to you. And the main thing he wants to say to you is that, do you realize how much I love you? Look for Jesus. Do you know what I think about you? Look for Jesus. Begin to read this, listening to God and looking for Jesus, all of a sudden it begins to read a little different. Then I would simply say this, I begin to write down your thoughts and begin to share your discoveries. Maybe begin to share them with a friend, maybe get in a group and share them. Maybe share them with your spouse. But I'd take a notebook with you and I'd just begin, as you set aside time, to say, God, I just want to drive my life deep, deep into the river of true happiness found in Jesus. Surveys would say this. We didn't need them to say this because God said it. Surveys would say this, that there is no habit that you can begin to embrace that will have a greater effect on your spiritual walk than this. Nothing. And a lot of you are here this morning and you're not happy because you feel like tumbleweed. And his invitation is, why don't you drill deep this morning? So God, my prayer is this. My prayer is that you would help us to drill our lives deep into your word and there find the one who your word is all about, Jesus. And in so doing, to practice his presence in a way that would produce fruit that looks like him and develop a unique, intimate friendship with Jesus this morning.